When I arrived in the UK, I moved to Southampton and I was extremely happy. Parks and gardens were everywhere. No, I thought Southampton was actually a big park, not a city. I found it strange that there was no beach in Southampton, but there was a port. I was impressed with everything I saw, and I thought to myself, how could anyone not be happy? There are parks everywhere, it's so green. After a couple of days, I started having flashbacks. Flashbacks of the things I had witnessed in Syria. Nightmares became something I got used to, and I would usually see myself back in my hometown, back in Aleppo. An army is behind me. I'm running away. There's a checkpoint. I try to run away from them. I try to tell myself that I live in the UK. I have a refugee status there. How did I come back here? As a soldier stop me, they check my name, and then they arrest me. They take me to prison, and they torture me. At this point, I would wake up. In some of the dreams, I would see myself running away from ISIS or from any armed gangs, or that I still haven't graduated from university, or that I'm running away from an airstrike. There are lots of different scenarios, but they were all set in one place, Aleppo, my hometown. I would sometimes see the faces of the friends that I have lost, or the faces of the people who are missing. At some point, I would wake up, disoriented, in my room. It takes me a couple of seconds to recognize that I'm still in my room. I'm still in Southampton. I'm in the UK. At this point, I feel quite relieved. I'm so lucky. I'm here. I'm not there. It was just a nightmare. And if I'm lucky, I might get a good sleep tonight. And I will have this nightmare again tomorrow or the day after. It doesn't matter. This has become real burden. Uh, the flashbacks that I don't want to think of, the mental health problems that I try to deal with on a daily basis, and the insomnia at night that keeps me awake and keeps me thinking of a lot of things that I don't want to think about. In today's episode, I will talk about mental health issues, something that I have personally struggled with and still struggling with until today, but at least I'm not the only one. I'm your host, Abdul. And this is Integrate That, a podcast about refugees by refugees. So stay with me. It is funny to talk about mental health when mine isn't stable. But today I'm not talking about how to take care of your mental health. I'm a journalist. I'm not a doctor. What do I know? Today I'm talking to a fellow refugee, Bara, from my hometown, Aleppo who also has similar nightmares. Bara lives on a canal boat. It's one of those narrow but long boats, um, around 18 meters long. And he has a tiny sink, a tiny kitchen, a bed and a stove. Bara lives um, in London. He works for a good company. And surprisingly, he pays his taxes. Surprise, surprise. From the outside, he's got it all. But it's a really completely different story from the inside.
I remember the story you were telling me about some people telling you to enjoy the moment. Could you please explain to me why you can't enjoy the moment? <laughs> so the term enjoy the moment is actually quite hits on my nerve because on the one hand, people who say it have absolutely no idea about your background or how you were brought up, what kind of society you lived in and how you were treated when you were young or a child. And on the other hand, it makes sense. Actually, it makes perfect sense to just enjoy the moment and not worry or overthink or get depressed about things. I think enjoying the moment is something quite difficult for a person with my experience because uh, I come from a society which I believe a lot of people from that society, uh, Eastern culture society, would be uh, having the same difficulties. Now, some of them may have not realized it or don't know about it, which is amazing because they don't think they are traumatized. They don't know it. You're, you might be traumatized, but you still don't know it, which is the best case scenario for a traumatized person. So uh, the way you were brought up, the way the systematic patronizing and abuse and uh, dominating and mistreatment for children, which literally breaks their personality and uh, puts down their aspirations and inspirations and uh, limits their abilities and imagination. That sounds really horrible. Again, I am not a doctor. I don't know actually how much of your childhood becomes a burden or it affects your adulthood. But I understand where Barak comes from. We both grew up in Aleppo. Boys and girls are segregated. We go to different schools and teachers have the absolute power to beat up children. I am the youngest of my six siblings. I remember one day when I was causing a lot of troubles at school, the teachers called for my mom. My mom came to school and the teacher told her he couldn't put up with my behavior anymore. <laughs> my mom was shocked. She asked the teacher in front of me, of course, oh teacher, don't you beat up children? Go ahead, you can beat him. You can skin him alive and send him bones to me. I don't mind. <laughs> You're the teacher. Teachers beating up children was something very common where I grew up. So a sports class is a class where you'd enjoy. All the students would be looking forward to because it's nice. You're not going to study. You're going to play games, sports, and move and meet your friends. So on that occasion, I had forgotten my to wear my trainers. And I was really looking forward for that sports class because I enjoy it. And I like running. I like playing with football with my friends. And the teacher uh, didn't like that. So he actually slapped me on the face six times for not bringing my trainers. And <laughs> How telling... dare you not wear your trainers? <laughs> and not only that, because I also told him I've got them because I was so afraid of him. I told him I've got the trainers and I didn't have them. But I was just trying to, to hide my guilt because for me it was a guilt. How, how dare I not bring your tra trainers? So it was six hits on the face, uh, slaps on the face, unfortunately. And that is only one story of a million stories, how you would be treated and grow up in that society. And I think a big part of that uh, will affect your depression, anxiety and PTSD and uh, child abuse things that you get. 
I remember when you were telling me the story and that someone um, had suggested that to enjoy the moment and then we looked at each other and we laughed so hard, <laughs> both of us. Without saying a word, because that's so funny. What moment do you mean exactly? The moment that I was smacked six times, the moment <laughs> when I was queuing uh, to get some bread in the bakery and someone jumped in and looked at me and he said, dare you say a word? And then he smacked me twice, even though I didn't say a word. <laughs> oh, how many times? Those stories from our childhood were all in Syria. But we're in England now. We have different challenges to go through. We have to integrate into this society and figure out what integration means. We need to find new friends, which is quite challenging actually, especially when you're 25 years old, when you arrive in a new country and the language is not your first language. If you're coming from another culture, and the belonging aspect, the identity aspect, the existential crisis, all of those things will start to grow bigger and bigger. And without you realizing it, you find yourself that you're stuck in a place where nobody can relate or understand what you're going through because your family, your friends have never been in your, in your shoes, never had your experiences, and never even bothered to think about any of those they are not interested. All they're interested about is the way they were brought up, their lifestyle, their religion, everything. So not only you're going through this, but you are going through it alone. And even if you try to explain it or express it or discuss it, that will still be difficult because you might find some people who, for example, you've gone through pretty much similar situ uh, experience. So you can relate pretty much to a lot of things that I'm saying. However, out of each... 50 or 100 people you could find one person who can understand and that is really difficult and isolating and uh, those problems I mean they're connected with your past experience obviously they are connected but in the same time they are uh, unique and big I live in a nice place that some people literally die to come to I've got two cars and I've got a boat I've got a bike I've got amazing job I've got really pretty much everything that people would wish for but then I realized that some people don't understand they think that well if you've got those you must be happy you must be so lucky well it is luck but it's not, not got nothing to do with with happiness or with mental disorders part of the problem of why me Bara and other refugees that I know suffer from mental health problems is that I feel like living two different lives, one in the UK and one with the friends and the people I know from Syria. In the UK, I go out with my friends who come from different countries, different cultures and religions. The other life is the one that I'm constantly reminded of whenever I call my friends who live in Arabic countries. Sometimes I don't know what to talk about. Barat thinks the same. What are you going to talk about? Food, weather, and that's it. Um, life, study, not, not much. I agree, and I've got the same problem with uh, people from back home. And when, you, when everything in your life has changed, and they have no idea about what's gone in your life, even if they started to think about it, imagine four or five years of, of, of thinking and experiences and uh, events taking place in your life. If they start thinking about it now, they're going to arrive after five years to where I am now. There'll never be a catch-up.
To seek help, I talked to a psychiatrist about my situation. The sessions went well, and I was prescribed antidepressant. I went to the pharmacy to collect them. The pharmacist looked at me and asked me if this was the first time I take these antidepressant pills. I said yes. He said, you know, the side effects of these pills might make you suicidal. I laughed. <laughs> I was already depressed and I was given pills that might make me suicidal. What a great combination. Um, How long did you stay on those antidepressants for? Uh, I stayed for uh, three months. The, 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 the doctor decided that it's time for him, gonna for him to take the antidepressant. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. It was weird talking about all these things. You know, I could see it in their face when I'm telling them these stories. And I was telling them these stories, you know, casually. You know, this, you know, like, you know, I was smacked in the face <laughs> six times or whatever. And you should see yeah. the look on their faces. While it is impossible to know for sure what life would have been like in Syria, I still consider myself one of the lucky few who made it to the UK. I have a job, I pay my taxes, and I enjoy my freedoms here. Bara and I are very lucky to be able to openly talk about our mental health problems. It's not a secret, and it's not something we're ashamed of. Out of all the refugees that I personally know, maybe a lucky few do not have mental health problems or haven't told me about their problems yet. How do we deal with it? Comedy. Comedy is our way to deal with it. We joke and laugh about it, but we support one another. I do stand-up comedy. I've done it a couple of times in big and small venues around the UK. It's a great way to talk about your anxiety and depression and laugh it out. If you folks out there have a different coping mechanism, please share it in the comment box and leave us a review. This has been Integrate That, the podcast about refugees by refugees, for locals and refugees. This podcast was presented by me, Abdelwahab Tahan, and edited by Leo Sheik. Music was by Rehab Azar and the Audio Network, and my guest today was Barak.